Welcome to the online ministry of Pacific Beach United Methodist Church, located in beautiful San Diego, California. Pacific Beach UMC is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and welcomes persons of all ages and backgrounds for worship, study, and service opportunities. More information can be found on our website at pbumc.org. May you be enriched by the hearing of these words, and may you receive and enjoy God's blessing. The scripture for today is Luke 16, 1 to 13, the parable of the dishonest manager. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your managing, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager— People may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, They may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Thank you, Judy. I thought it might be helpful to start out today by telling you a little bit about how I prepare to preach each Sunday. I generally sit down with the scripture passage and read it several times, often looking at different translations. I then go to commentaries, some actual written books and other online resources to study the text. I take notes, I think. I pray, I let it all percolate a little bit. All along, I try to keep 
three questions in the back of my mind, questions I hope are addressed in some form or fashion in the final product of my sermon. Those questions are, what is this text saying? What is the good news in this passage? And where is the love? I try to then bring it all together in writing and present it to you in some manageable and meaningful package here at church on Sunday morning. Now, some weeks, that works pretty well. It's a relatively smooth and enjoyable process. But other weeks, not so much. And I'm just going to confess to you right up front that this is one of those weeks. Did you hear that scripture passage? Were you listening? Can you blame me? (laughs) Judy offered us an impeccable reading of one of the strangest parables that Jesus must have ever told. I knew I was in trouble early in the week as I read commentary after commentary, and every writer, preacher, and theologian in talking about this passage used words like baffling and bewildering to describe it. Lloyd Ogilvie, in a book called Autobiography of God, wrote that there is no parable with as many enticing dead-end possibilities as this one. Great! Just what you don't want to hear when you're trying to prepare a sermon. Many of the experts pointed out that even the gospel writer Luke seemed to have struggled with this parable, recording the parable itself and then following it with a string of known Jesus sayings about money and wealth, which seemed to further confuse matters rather than offer clarification. So the invitation for today is to put our heads and hearts together and grapple a bit with this extremely odd parable. The gist of it is this. There was a rich man who had a manager to oversee his property. Someone came to the rich man and told him that his manager was cheating him by mishandling his property. So the rich man called the manager in and said, Hey, what's this I hear about how you're handling my property? Let me see those books. Well, the manager, clearly guilty, didn't offer to get the books in order to defend himself. No, instead he started thinking, What am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to do manual labor, and I'm too proud to beg. Well, he hatched a plan in hopes of securing his now precarious future. He made a beeline to the people who owed money to his boss and slashed the amount they owed, creating a situation where they would now be indebted to him and therefore more inclined to help him in the future in his potential time of need. And the shocker of this tale is that the rich man, who would now suffer a secondary financial loss due to the unscrupulous wheeling and dealing of the dishonest manager, praised and commended him for his quick thinking 
and clever pl plan. And the even more surprising part, the part that is downright troubling for some folks, is that Jesus, in offering this parable, seems to have been suggesting that his listeners might want to take a page from the book of this corrupt individual. Really? Is that possible? Is Jesus suggesting that we in some way emulate this dubious character? Well, the answer to that is no. And yes. Because parables, we might remember, aren't meant to be read literally. They're intended to get us thinking, to keep us on our spiritual toes. No, Jesus would not ask us to emulate the dishonest manager's dishonesty. We know that because we know Jesus. When we look at the larger story of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, when we are mindful of the gospel accounts in their entirety, we know that Jesus wasn't telling his followers to go out and be dishonest in the world. That would be inconsistent with everything that we know to be true about Jesus. But yes, Jesus did appear to be suggesting that we do emulate one aspect of this guy, and that would be his shrewdness. He was savvy. He was calculating. He was intentional about next steps in order to best secure his future. The scripture says he was commended for just that, his shrewdness. And it goes on to say, the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of the light. So I'm going to take us back to my three questions in order to try to make some sense of this. First, what is this passage saying? It's worth repeating that this is a challenging and complicated passage. If most of the experts are baffled and bewildered, I won't insult you or embarrass myself by pretending to know all that this passage means. I will share with you a few things that emerge from this passage for me this week, things that I believe to be true. For starters, I believe that this passage strongly recommends a tool for our spiritual toolbox as people of faith. I don't know about you, but the statement that the children of this age are shrewd in dealing with their own generation resonates for me. That statement rings true. Power, money, and privilege drive so much in the world in our present day and age. And many people have become masters at working that system. Many people are smart, crafty, calculating in obtaining what they want, what they see as valuable, what they believe will secure their futures in this world. And Jesus seems to suggest in this parable that we develop and use those same skills 
not for obtaining worldly goods, but for obtaining what is truly valuable, what is holy, what is righteous. Jesus seems to suggest that we use those tools for kingdom building, for peacemaking, if you will, for justice-seeking. Use all of those same skills, but use them for good. What else does this passage say? It says something about eternal life, about life that is full and abundant in the here and now and life that is everlasting in and with God. The dishonest manager did all kinds of wheeling and dealing in order to secure his welcome in the homes of others after he lost his job. Luke, the gospel writer, seems to suggest we use money in a different way in order to be welcomed into an eternal home. One of the Jesus sayings that Luke adds to this parable uh, is a rather strange one. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. I want you to place a a mental bookmark here because we will come back to and hopefully shed some light on this phrase in next week's sermon. It has a connection to the passage that comes after this. But what we can safely say here, I believe, is that Luke, through Jesus, is saying that eternal life is connected to our use of money and other resources in our here and now. Now, I have heard some people suggest that eternal life is connected to saying the correct creed, to attending the right church, to wearing appropriate clothes in worship, or even to loving the right kind of person. But there's not a whole lot of scriptural evidence for that. There is an abundance of evidence here and elsewhere in the Bible that what we do with our money matters. It matters now, and it matters as we contemplate life eternal. So even as we catch on to some threads of meaning contained in these verses, we still might find ourselves asking, but what in all of this is good news? It's the gospel, after all. There has to be good news. As I sat with that question this week, it seemed to me that the invitation to bring all of ourselves, including our reason, our minds, our intelligence, our cleverness, our savviness to our lives of faith is actually very good news. There is sometimes a perception in the general population that church folks check their brains at the sanctuary doors. And not only is that not a fair characterization, but it's inconsistent with who we're called to be in Scripture. It's also inconsistent with the beliefs and values of our United Methodist denomination. In this thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, 
this tool that can guide us in the living of our spiritual lives, we start with Scripture, as you heard in the children's time. That's always our starting point. That is foundational. But we also use the wisdom of tradition, our personal experience, and our God-given minds in the living out of our lives of faith. We, the church, the body of Christ, need all different kinds of people with all different kinds of gifts in order to live out our calling. I've got some skills in certain areas. I'm smart in some ways, but I can make my way around an Excel spreadsheet to save my life. And the truth is, the church needs people with that kind of gift too. God needs people, all kinds of people with all kinds of gifts to bring all of ourselves to God's kingdom purposes in this world. That, to me, sounds like great news. It's a reminder that we all belong. We're all necessary. We're all needed and vital in this holy and life-giving endeavor. But where's the love? Is there any love in this passage? Verse 14, the next verse right after this section, Judy read up to 13. Verse 14 didn't make the cut when the lectionary was created. But that verse says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And the truth is, if we're honest, we love money too. Love of money is so much a part of our culture, our worldview, that I don't think we can entirely escape it. We've been brought up and we've been steeped in the notion that money is for comfort, for pleasure, for our personal security and the security of those we love. But what if it's not just that? What if it's for more than that? What if we said that money is for love. Money is a vehicle to share love. Luke, our gospel writer, cares and talks extensively about money and how we use our resources. He doesn't mince words at the end of this passage when he offers us another Jesus saying, you cannot serve God and wealth. It's as if he's giving us option A and option B. Will we allow love of money to drive us, or will we utilize money on behalf of love? Well, the parable of the dishonest manager is not going to go down in history as one of my favorites, and I'm doubting yours either. But it is the parable that's before us today, and it's worth giving it our time and attention. May we continue to explore it, to take it seriously, to wrestle with it. May we resist the urge to sneer at it or to easily dismiss it as strange or archaic or confusing. May we continue to seek its meaning, the good news it's revealing and its invitation to live more and more fully as children of the light, participating in God's redeeming love with all of what we have and all of who we are.
Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious and almighty God, we do bring our lives to you, knowing that you have given us these lives, this world, these connections as a gift. We come in these last days of summer, giving you thanks for this season of rest and abundance. We ask that you would help us to lean into the changing of the seasons and that you would help us to lean on you, to rely on you in the midst of all of the transitions of our lives. We are hopeful about what is next, knowing that you are by our side and that you companion us each and every day. We pray, O oh God, for those who are struggling on this day. We are aware of those in great pain and great difficulty, both near and around the world. We lift up with tender hearts those we know who are struggling and ask that you would give grace and light and peace and hope and healing in each place of need. We know, O oh God, that you are at work in our world and that you invite us to be a vital part of the transformation of all that is. We thank you that you invite us in the fullness of who we are, just as we are, to take part in that meaningful ministry. Help us to bring all of ourselves. Help us to bring our heart and our soul and our mind and our spirit, our gifts and our talents, knowing that each piece is necessary for this vital work. Help us to honor those differences within our community that we might lift up each one, knowing that we are all an incredibly important part of the body of Christ as we do your will and follow your way in the world. Help us to always grow day by day as children of the light. Help us to be a reflection of your light in ways that make a difference to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>